Welcome to the Gospel Saves Podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. Please visit thegospelsaves.me. Welcome back to our study of the resurrection of Jesus. As I shared on the first broadcast, I greatly appreciated Gary Habermas and Michael Lacona's book, The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. Their book influenced this series of broadcasts. In podcast one, I used the text of 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8 as a basis for my study of the resurrection. In this podcast, I will consider how internal and external evidence conclusively testifies that Jesus of Nazareth did in fact die by crucifixion. Having established that the resurrection lies at the heart of the gospel, we began looking at five facts that Paul highlights in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8. We left off on our last program talking about the crucifixion of Jesus and how all four gospel accounts provide eyewitness testimony concerning the ministry of Jesus. And in each of those gospel accounts, we find a record of the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, the fact that we have four accounts of this is also incredibly important. A lot of times we think of the New Testament as a single unit, when in fact these are 27 separate letters. Some of them are separated by decades from one another. One of the earliest is the epistle written by James, and the latest is, in all likelihood, the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ to John the Apostle. Those two books are separated by about 50 years, and they were written, in all likelihood, in two completely different places. John was on the Isle of Patmos. James was most likely back in Israel, in Palestine. So here we've got these books that are 50 years apart from one another. They're written by two different men. And when it comes to the gospel accounts, we have four different men writing about the same series of events from four different perspectives. Now, when historians approach the New Testament, they approach the gospel accounts in particular as a collection of separate documents. And as historical documents, these represent the primary sources about Jesus. There are no better sources that we have concerning the life of Jesus. In fact, these are the only ones we have. So if we want to know something about this carpenter from Nazareth, here is the place we turn. It would be foolish to turn elsewhere, because these men wrote these accounts within about 50 years of the events that they record. And all four of these gospel accounts attest to the death of Jesus by crucifixion. So we have multiple independent eyewitness accounts, which from a historical perspective is incredibly important. So we have these historical accounts contained in the gospel, but we also have some external evidence as well. You might recall from our study of the end times, I talked quite a bit about the Jewish historian Josephus, who wrote his histories in the 70s and 80s AD. Josephus had a few things to say about Jesus, and one of the most important things he offers is this account. At this time, and he's talking about the time of Pilate, there was a wise man who was called Jesus. His conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. 
and many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. Now, it's important to bear in mind that Josephus was a Pharisee. He was a Jew. So far as we know, he never converted to Christianity. So here we have objective, external, historical testimony that tells us that Jesus was put to death by Pilate and that the mode of his death was crucifixion. We also have a couple of Roman historians that confirm this as well. Tacitus, in his book the Annals says, Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius. Now Tacitus does not tell us that Jesus was crucified, but let's bear in mind that the preferred form of execution was crucifixion. In fact, I'm not aware of any other capital punishment that was used by the Romans in the first century. If they put someone to death, it was by crucifixion. Now, it hadn't always been that way, and we could talk about the history of Roman executions another time. But at this moment in time, during the ministry of Jesus, crucifixion was the primary mode of capital punishment. Another Roman, by the name of Lucian, in his work, The Death of Peregrine, writes this, The Christians, you know, worship a man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. You see, these misguided creatures start with the general conviction that they are immortal for all time, which explains the contempt of death and voluntary self-devotion which are so common among them. And then it was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they are all brothers from the moment that they are converted and deny the gods of Greece and worship the crucified sage, and live after his laws. Now, Lucian has some very disparaging things to say about Christians, but notice that there were, in a couple of instances, confirmation of Jesus' crucifixion. He says so toward the beginning, and he says so at the end. So, we have, apart from the Gospels, Josephus, Tacitus, and Lucian, all confirming that Jesus died by crucifixion. And there's no question that he actually died on that cross. You know, some people would have you believe that the Roman soldiers were fooled into believing that Jesus was dead, that he had simply passed out. This is sometimes called the, the swoon theory. And it's generally put forward by people who are skeptical of the Gospels to begin with. I find this to be an incredible theory to swallow. Crucifixion, as it was practiced by the Romans, was an incredibly brutal process. Because it wasn't just a matter of hanging on the cross. Every convict was flogged before they went upon that cross. And that flogging was so severe that some prisoners died before they ever reached the cross. Now, the Romans became sort of experts of, of flogging someone to the point that they were just about dead. But it was not uncommon for flogging to actually end up taking the life. This was a very brutal thing. Jesus was flogged before his crucifixion. 
And as he hung on that cross, he was slowly suffocating to death. As his body lowered down, his he could not breathe, so he had to push up on his feet in order to breathe. But for the pain of, of pushing up on his feet, he had to release. And then as he sunk back down, he would once again begin to suffocate. And as he suffocated, water would gather around his heart. So that eventually, Jesus died of suffocation and heart failure. We also know that it was common among Roman soldiers to to break the legs of victims. That if they were taking too long to die, they would go along and break the legs, and not which would prevent the the crucified from pushing up and getting air. And we know that took place to the two thieves that were hanging on either side of Jesus. We know that from John chapter 19, verses 31 and 32. And the soldiers did not see it necessary to do so with Jesus. They knew he was dead. And of all people, Roman soldiers should be considered experts at determining whether or not someone was alive. They knew that man was dead. Otherwise, they would have broken his legs. And they further confirmed this by thrusting the spear into his side. And you might recall that, according to John, in John chapter 19, verse 34, and remember, John was the only apostle who was there at the cross. He saw this. He saw blood and water come forth. Now, the fact that there was water there is critically important. This gives us further indication that water had gathered around the the outside part of the heart, what's called the pericardium. And as the soldier thrust his spear up into the side of Jesus, it must have pierced that sack and, of course, pierced the heart as well. And out of that flowed water and blood. Now, under the conditions described by the writers of these gospel accounts, is there any doubt, if these accounts are true, that Jesus was, in fact, dead. To me, it's highly doubtful. Highly doubtful that Jesus could have survived such a traumatic experience. In fact, this is such a convincing testimony that even men who are skeptical of the New Testament's truthfulness acknowledge that Jesus died by crucifixion. John Dominic Crossan, who's a member of the Ultra-Liberal Jesus Seminar, says this, quote, that he was crucified is as sure as anything historical can ever be. In other words, this man who is skeptical of the New Testament, he even he is fully persuaded that Jesus was crucified. And if Jesus was crucified, there is little reason to believe that he did not die on that cross. So as we think back to the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians for a moment, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's reread what Paul says in verses 1 through 3. Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you that gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which you also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ died for our sins. Paul says, this is what I preach to you. This is what you received. This is the gospel in which you stand. 
And he says, finally, in verse number two, this is the gospel by which you are saved. If we want salvation in Jesus' name, we must believe and stand upon the fact that Jesus died for our sins. And is there any reason for us to think that that death did not occur by crucifixion? No, there's not. He died by crucifixion. Now, as you might recall from our last program, or if you weren't with us last week, we talked about the second fact that Paul highlights in these particular verses. He highlights how many people to whom Jesus appeared after his resurrection. And that those disciples were fully persuaded that they had witnessed Jesus risen from the dead. He talks about Jesus being seen by Cephas, by the twelve, or the twelve apostles. He was seen by over 500 brethren at once. After that, he was seen by James, and then again by the apostles. And then finally, he was seen by Paul as one born out of due time. Now, this is a very impressive list. And this list of eyewitnesses is particularly impressive, not only because of the number, but because of the fact that when Paul was writing this letter, the people in Corinth could have gone and confirmed these facts with the eyewitnesses. Thanks for listening to The Gospel Saves. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. If you enjoyed the music on this podcast, please visit acapeldridge.com. You can also find him on Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. May God bless you as you seek to know and do his perfect will. Oh